The Christian life is not easy. I know Jesus said, I came to give life abundantly, and he does that, but he also said, in this world you will have, what? Tribulations. Paul said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So the Christian life is marked by trials, it's marked by suffering, it's marked by heartbreak from time to time, it's marked by battles against sin, disappointments. The Christian life is not easy. And God knows that. And to comfort us and to strengthen us and to motivate us, And to encourage us, what God has done is, all through the scriptures, he's pointed us to heaven, eternal life, the resurrection. I mean, think about it. Death is not the end. Glory. Death is not the end. Because you are trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, and as your Lord, and as your treasure, The moment that you die, you will be face to face with him. He will be running towards you with his arms wide open. The moment that you die, you will immediately be in his presence. You will see your Savior face to face. The joy you will experience in him far surpasses any other joy you have ever known. You'll be with your Savior. Because you're trusting Jesus, because he's died on the cross. That's true. That's what you're going to experience. To strengthen us, to sustain us, to motivate us, to encourage us, to embolden us. All through the scriptures, God points us to eternity. The prize, heaven, eternal life. So let me ask you who are following Jesus. This last week, how many times did you think about heaven? Eternal life. The resurrection from the dead. How often did you think about heaven? How often did the thought of the joys of heaven strengthen you in your battle against sin? How often did the thought of seeing Jesus comfort and sustain you through trials this last week? How often did thoughts of eternity, eternal destinies, stir you to pray for lost people and to share the good news of Jesus with with lost people? So this last week, how often did you think about heaven? I would guess those of you who are trusting Christ, you did think about heaven this last week. But I'm pretty sure that all of us could think about heaven more than we did. And that's what I'm praying God will do in our hearts this afternoon. That he will help us to see and feel the reality of heaven. Being face to face with our Savior. To see and feel that maybe more deeply than we have in a long time or maybe than we ever, ever have. And the passage that we're going to look at that I think God wants to use is Luke chapter 20, verses 27 through 40. So go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. We are working our way through Luke, and in Luke chapter 20, 
verses 27 through 40, Jesus is confronted by a group called the Sadducees. The Sadducees. Let's learn about the Sadducees. Start reading in verse 27. There came to him, Jesus, some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age, that is people who are alive on earth right now, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age, heaven, and to the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die any more, because they are equal to angels, they're immortal like angels, and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, the burning bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well. For they no longer dared to ask him any question. So here Jesus is confronted by the Sadducees, who think they can prove that there will not be a future resurrection. So how do they try to do that? Let's ask that question first. How did the Sadducees try to prove that there can't be a resurrection? Look at verse 27 again. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. I heard somebody once say that that's why they're so sad, you see, because they don't believe in a resurrection. You've probably heard that too. Bad joke. Anyway, pause there. Let's hold off. Verse 27. They were a group of people. They were like a sect of Judaism who did not believe that there was a future resurrection. No life after death. Death was, was the end. But they knew that Jesus taught that there would be a resurrection. He boldly proclaimed a future resurrection. So they came to him, time to prove him wrong, set him straight. And to do this, they pointed to the law, which is called the law of leveret marriage, is what scholars call it today. The word leveret is a Latin word. Learn some Latin tonight. It's a word for a husband's brother, leveret marriage. And the Sadducees explained this law in verse 28. Let's read that again. They asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, that man must take that brother's widow and raise up offspring for his brother. So in the Old Testament, if a man died without children, his brother would be obligated to marry the widow. 
and make sure that the brother would have children to carry on his name and to financially provide for the widow. The law of leveret marriage. And the Sadducees think this law makes future resurrection impossible. Why? Look at what they say in verse 29. They lay out a scenario. Jesus, there were seven brothers. Just imagine this. The first took a wife, died without children, and the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. Here's what the Sadducees are saying. They're saying, Jesus, there can't be a resurrection. Because if there is, then in the resurrection, this woman will be married to seven men. But God doesn't want a woman to be married to seven men at the same time. So that shows that there can't be a future resurrection. They think they've got him, nailed him. They think they've proven that there can't be a resurrection. Now, at this point, as I was reading this, I just thought, I wonder what's on Jesus' face. Picture Jesus, the Son of God, who knows everything flawlessly, who with the Father planned the resurrection, who knows he will be raised to show us all a visible demonstration of the resurrection. There's Jesus, feeling some compassion maybe, some concern maybe. It's like, we need to speak the truth here. Don't you love Jesus? Here comes the truth. How did Jesus respond? Verses 34 to 36. Jesus said to them, the sons of this age, that's a reference to people who are alive on earth, they marry and are given in marriage, yes. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age, those who go to heaven and experience the resurrection of the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. So Jesus is talking about Two different groups of people here. The sons of this age, people who are alive right now. You all are sons, daughters of this age. We marry and are given in marriage, right? But Jesus also talks about those who, he says, are considered worthy to attain to that age, to heaven. That's talking about people who go to heaven. There's no marriage in heaven, he says. Now, just a little pause here, a side note. How is it that someone can attain to that age? How can someone attain to be worthy of of heaven? It's very clear here. All through Jesus' teaching and all through the Bible, the answer is not by trying to be good enough to make up for your sin. That's what all human religions teach. It's not what Jesus taught. That's not the truth from God. God, in his love and in his mercy, has made a way for us to be forgiven for all of our sins. See, every sin has to be punished. God is just. And God has made a way for our sins to be punished in Jesus. Jesus came, and he was punished on the cross for all the sins of everyone who will trust him. That's how we become worthy to attain to heaven, by trusting Jesus, his death on the cross, paying for our sins. That's who Jesus is talking about here. So Jesus is saying that on earth, there is marriage, but in heaven, there will not be any marriage. Why not? Why no marriage in heaven? Jesus gives one reason in verse 36. He says, for because 
they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels. They're like angels in being immortal and are sons, daughters of God and being sons of the resurrection. They partake of the resurrection. Just let, let, just let these words sink into your heart. When, when you go to heaven, at that point you are going to experience your full adoption as God's daughter, God's son at that moment. Full adoption. And you will experience the resurrection. That means that in heaven, you will never die. You'll never die because we will be like angels. We don't become angels. There's humans and there's angels. Different, but we are like them in that we are immortal. That's why there's no marriage in heaven. See, one purpose for marriage is to create children who will fill the earth. And that's important because people die. We've got to keep filling the earth. That's what God's purpose is. But because people in heaven don't die, we don't need to create more people. And so there's no marriage in heaven. And that's where the Sadducees are wrong. They've assumed that people who believe in the resurrection think that life in the resurrection is going to be like life on earth. There's marriage on earth. There's marriage in heaven. They're wrong. In heaven, none of the seven brothers would be married to this woman because there's no marriage in heaven. Now, some of you who are married, you might feel a little troubled at this point. I love my wife. I love my husband. What, what do you mean, no marriage in heaven? Marriage is a wonderful gift from God, isn't it? Amazing gift from God. So thankful. But marriage is temporary. It has a purpose for this life, companionship, families, children, and to show a picture of Christ pictured by the husband in relation to the church pictured by the wife. So marriage has powerful purposes in God's plan. But in heaven, there will not need to be more children. And in heaven, we won't need pictures of Christ's relationship to the church because we will experience the reality, right? The reality of Christ and us, the church. We'll know that by experience. So in heaven, there will not be marriage. Now, what will that mean for those of us who are married? What is that going to mean? Jen and I have been talking about that this last few days. First of all, nothing will be lost. Everything is transformed in heaven. We don't know what it's going to look like, but here's a quote that I found helpful by John Piper in his book, This Momentary Marriage. Here's what he said. See if this resonates with you. There is no human marriage after death. That's just what Jesus has taught. The shadow of covenant keeping between husband and wife gives way to the reality of covenant keeping between Christ and his glorified church. Nothing is lost. The music of every pleasure we've known here on earth is transposed into an infinitely higher key in the joys of being face-to-face -face with Jesus in heaven. So nothing is lost. Everything is transformed by the joys of heaven. Don't worry. When you're in heaven, you'll be like, whoa! 
It's amazing. No one's going to be disappointed in heaven. You are going to be stunned at the glory of your Savior and at his love for you. Mm. So Jesus' point, there's no marriage in heaven. That's why the Sadducees are dead wrong. The law of leveret marriage does not disprove the resurrection from the dead. But Jesus isn't content just to show that they've not proved that it's wrong. He wants to prove that it's right. He wants to say, now let me show you why the Bible does teach the resurrection. So how did Jesus show that there would be a resurrection? Verses 37 and 38. It's amazing. The resurrection was taught in the Old Testament. Right here, Jesus says that. Verse 37. He goes on, but that the dead are raised. See, he wants to show not just that they were wrong in disproving. Here's the proof that the dead are raised. Even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, the burning bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. You've all read the passage, Exodus chapter 3, been taught out in Sunday school where Moses meets God who's speaking to him through a burning bush. And that passage shows that there is a future resurrection. Let's read Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, and you can see it for yourself. Here's what Moses wrote. Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. This is what Jesus is referring to. And he, God, said to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, what you have to understand is that at this time when God speaks these words, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were dead. They were gone. They'd long gone. They had died years before this. So the Sadducees would have said, well, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're, they're not existing anymore. They're just, they're out of the picture. They're dead and gone. But Jesus is saying that doesn't fit God's words here. That's not how God talks here. God did not say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I am now the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God is still being their God. At that moment, God is still being the God of Abraham, still being the God of Isaac, still being the God of Jacob, which means they are not dead. They are alive in heaven. Abraham's alive in heaven, Isaac's alive, Jacob's alive in heaven. They're awaiting the resurrection. They're in heaven, waiting for the resurrection. They're there right now. You have loved ones who are there right now, right? Who've been trusting Jesus, they're in glory, awaiting the resurrection. Now, this might raise some questions about how does it work to you die and then your body's here and, and like you go somewhere and, and with, with the resurrection, how does this all work? Let me try to explain what I see the scriptures teaching. Let's start by talking about believers. Those of you who are trusting Christ. 
because you're trusting Christ as your Savior and as your Lord and as your treasure, the very moment that you die, your spirit, your soul, will immediately go to be face-to-face with Jesus in heaven, while your body stays here. That's what happens. So you will be there in heaven, your spirit, your soul, you will be there awaiting the resurrection at the end of history. That's for believers. Now, if you're, if you're not yet a believer, we love you. We are glad you're here. We want you to become believers. I hope that what you hear tonight will stir you to turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus. Because those who are not trusting Christ, the problem is they are still guilty for their sins. Their sins were not punished in what Jesus did on the cross. Their sins still need to be punished. Please hear this. So the moment that an unbeliever dies, their soul, their body goes to hell and starts being punished. Their body stays here on earth. They start being punished and they're waiting for the resurrection. And at the end of history, Jesus will come back. And everyone, believer and unbeliever, will be raised from the dead. Unbelievers, your body will be raised, joined with your spirit and soul and we, we say this with hearts that are broken, you'll be cast into the lake of fire. Believers, when Jesus comes back at the end of history, your spirit, your soul, will be, your, your, your body will be raised up, resurrection body, glorified resurrected body, joined to your spirit, soul, and you'll be joining all the redeemed in the new heavens and the new earth forever. So that's what happens. That's what happens when you die You don't just become unconscious until the resurrection. You are, like, remember Jesus said to the criminal on the cross next to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's what will happen to you. So that's how it works. That's what the Bible teaches about death and the resurrection. That's what God will do for Abraham and for Isaac and for Jacob. That's why God says, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. They are alive right now, and they are awaiting their resurrection, and I will be their God forever because there's a resurrection. That's how Jesus shows from the Bible that there is a resurrection. Now, one last point Luke wants to make. Let's ask, how did Jesus' words impact his listeners? Look at verses 39 and 40. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well. For they no longer dared to ask him any questions. They're like, wow. I'm not asking any more questions. Some of the scribes agreed with what Jesus said. They were were impacted by his words. No more questions. And so with those last two verses, Luke wants us to be impacted with the fact that our Savior, our Jesus, is speaking well here. There is a future resurrection. Jesus taught it very clearly. Even though they tried to prove him wrong, Jesus Jesus showed that they were wrong. And Jesus proved from the Old Testament that they were wrong, that there was a future resurrection. Resurrection. There's a future eternal life for all who trust God and his Messiah. 
So we can be absolutely confident that there will be a future resurrection. Death is not the end. Death is the beginning of eternity. There will be a future resurrection because Jesus clearly taught it, because it's taught all through the Bible, and because Jesus himself was raised from the dead, showing us what will happen to you, believers, at the end of history. You'll be raised as well. And not only that, another reason we can know there's a future resurrection is because Paul explained that there are times when we're seeking the Lord in prayer, when we're seeking the Lord in the scriptures, when we're in worship, where God gives us tastes of heaven. An actual, remember Paul calls it the, the down payment, the guarantee, the earnest, whatever translation you use, of the inheritance. God takes part of the inheritance and says, here's, here's a taste. And you, you have a taste of the the joy of God's glory, the beauty of Christ, so that you sense, you experience heaven is amazing and heaven is real. Tastes, tastes. So let this sink in. Every one of us in this room this afternoon will live forever. You will live forever either in the joy of God's glory in Christ or under the wrath of God's judgment for your sin. Every one of us here, forever. That is just huge to think about. Forever. So what does this mean for us? Powerful passage. Powerful Savior. Powerful teaching. What does it mean? Let me give you three takeaways. First, obviously, if you're not yet trusting Jesus, see who he is. Turn from your sin and trust him. See who Jesus is just from what we've described this afternoon. Think about his love. Oh, we sang about this in, in the worship songs earlier. Think about his love in coming to the earth to be punished for the sins of all who trust him. Think about his compassion. Think about his care. Think about his love. And see, the moment you turn from your sin and trust him, a supernatural change is happening. All your sins are instantly forgiven. All your past sins, all your present sins, all your future sins, all forgiven because they were punished in Jesus on the cross because you're trusting him that joins you to his work on the cross. And God pours his love into your heart for the first time. The joy you've been looking for, the life you've been longing for is found in knowing God's love in Christ. As he pours into your heart, you experience his love pouring into your heart. And that just starts to change you. You, you, will, you don't become perfect, but you start changing. More patient, more kind. It's beautiful what God does. So I want to urge you, see who Jesus is. Right now, see who Jesus is. Turn from your sin and trust him. Please. Second takeaway. I want you to understand what eternal life for believers is going to mean. It's going to mean joy. Listen, 
no one is going to be bored in heaven. You've, if you're trusting Christ, you've had tastes. You've had tastes of God's joy, and you know. But see, those are just tastes. Those are like through a mirror dimly, Paul said. You're going to have face-to-face relationship with your Savior. Face-to-face. You will be in his very presence. Jesus' very presence. And the glory and the nearness and the love of Christ will give you a joy like you have never known. And that joy will be ever-increasing. And it is all satisfying. It will make, that joy will make every trial you've known worth it. That joy will make you so glad that you battled every sin that you battled. You will know joy, heart-filling, ever-increasing, completely satisfying joy. It will mean rest, not just joy, but it will mean rest. Your labors will all be over. Listen, no more battles against sin. Yes! Just get rid of all this sin, and the moment you die, you are transformed, you're glorified, you're completely sinless at that point. Never again will you battle sin. (sighs) Rest. And you'll be so glad you battled as you did. No more labor to enter into God's presence. It's labor now, right? My pride is distracting me. My flesh is distracting me. It's, it's, It's labor, isn't it? It's worth it all, but it's not easy. But then he will be right there. No more flesh to weigh us down. And no more trials. No mourning, no crying, no pain, no death. Just rest in the presence of your Savior. Rest is coming, church. Time to labor now. Rest is coming. Joy, rest, it'll mean comfort. David Crowder has a song that I love. One of the lines says, Earth has no sorrows that heaven can't heal. Comfort. God himself will wipe away every tear from your eyes. That is an amazing picture. God, the creator of the universe, massive God, wiping your tears from your eyes. He loves you. And he weeps with you while you're suffering here, but he is going to so comfort you. Every trial in this life, every disappointment, every heartbreak, every tragedy will be comforted, will be healed will be far more than made up for in heaven. Comfort. Comfort is coming. Complete comfort awaits. Oh, don't lose hope. Don't give up. Heaven is coming. So joy, rest, comfort, and then I want to just talk about eternity again. This is we're talking about what eternal life in heaven will mean. Eternity. Forever and ever all satisfying, ever-increasing joy in knowing God through Jesus. Eternity. Once you've been there a hundred thousand years, you'll have barely even begun 
because we're talking about eternity. Eternity. So you've got joy, rest, comfort, and eternity. And so then finally third, make heaven the focus of your thoughts. Not your only thought, but make it right at the center with like big font, big bold font, okay? Everlasting life, heaven face to face with my Savior Jesus. Make that the focus of your thoughts. Earlier I'd asked, how many times this last week did you think about heaven? This is the main way, not the only way, but it's the main way that God sustains us here with the battles of earth. It's the main way God comforts us, gives us strength to endure the trials we face here. It's the main way God gives us hope to carry us through the difficulties that we face. We need to be thinking about heaven more. It's not easy, is it? So many things distracting us. I battle this all the time. I'm right with you. But let's Let's work on this. Let's ask God to help us. Every day, say, Lord, help me to be more aware of the reality of heaven. Memorize scriptures that talk about heaven. Study what the scriptures teach about everlasting life and the resurrection. Spend time thinking about it. Talk to each other about it. What have you learned about heaven recently? So make heaven the focus of your thoughts. And as you do this, as you pray about heaven, as you study, as you memorize scripture, you will experience God by the Holy Spirit giving you fresh life, giving you fresh comfort, giving you fresh motivation, giving you encouragement, giving you strength for the difficulties. You will experience God by the Holy Spirit meeting you as you think about heaven because heaven is certain, heaven is all-satisfying in Jesus' presence, and heaven is is forever. Let's stand. I want to pray. Father, I ask, first of all, for those here who are not yet trusting your Son as their Savior, whose sins have not yet been punished on the cross, oh Lord, help them feel right now the weight of of what it means to still be facing your punishment for their sins. Please, Lord, please, Lord, help them to see that, to feel that, and then let them see your wide open arms offering complete forgiveness through Christ's death on the cross. Lord, please, we plead with you. Turn hearts in this room to Christ now, Lord to receive forgiveness, to receive your love, to receive your presence, to know the assurance of heaven forever. Do that now. And Lord, for those of us who are already trusting Christ, oh Lord, forgive us for how little we spend time thinking about being with you forever, and we are so easily distracted. We all struggle with this. Help us, Lord. Help us. Set our minds on things that are above not on things that are on the earth. Help us set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Lord, as you promised, then as we do that, strengthen us, comfort us, encourage us, motivate us, embolden us, and meet us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.